World War II. It's known as the greatest generation. And these are their stories. It's the World War II Project. Here are your hosts, Americhicks, Molly Vogt, and Kim Munson. Welcome to the Americhicks World War II Project. I'm Molly Vogt. And I'm Kim Munson. And it is Christmas time, so we have a very special show today for our World War II project. We have in studio with us uh, Don Brookins, and he is the son of Richard Brookins, who is the American Saint Nick. And so we will be sharing this really um, heartwarming story from World War II right before the Battle of the Bulge. So, Don, it's great to have you in studio with us. Well, nice to see you ladies. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Yes, Merry Christmas Boy, to you Molly's as well. Molly's a whirling dervish here. She. She makes coffee nervous. I was watching her getting ready for the show, and she's buzzing around. And I'm so excited. I, well, can we say the special treat? Sure. So we we have had Don on before telling the story about your dad, but I am so excited that we are actually going to have Colonel Richard Brookins on the phone, Corporal Richard Brookins on the phone. Oh, I'm with sure us. he'd appreciate you know. Today, being given that title, I am excited to talk to the American Saint Nick. It's Christmas time. It's a magical time for many. And as people start to get older, sometimes a little bit of that excitement can go away unless you've got kiddos in the house. But just watching the videos and reading the story again of American Saint Nick and, and what they started, what your father and his 28th Infantry Regiment started in the war uh, I shared this on our Facebook. Go to the Americhicks Facebook or Americhicks Twitter and download these videos and look at these videos and check out the book because you're going to be able to see Corporal Richard Brookins telling the story and actually see the documentary, the pictures from the video in 1944 in December in Luxembourg when he he was the American Saint Nick. They have recreated it every year since. They promised in a thousand years they would never forget him, and they never have, and they've never forgotten what the Americans sacrificed to liberate them and to help them to, get, to gain their freedom again. So I'm excited for the show. That's oh, a great show, Don. It's wonderful to have you in studio with us. And so let's uh, let's start at the beginning. Uh, this is 1944. It's in December. And we've actually learned a lot more about Battle of the Bulge uh, in this last year since we've talked with you. And uh, I don't think we were really expecting uh, a German offensive. Uh, and that happened, I think, on uh, December 16th. And St. Nicholas Day is typically, was it December 6th? Normally, yes. Saint Nicholas Day in in Luxembourg, anyway, is uh, is when all the kids get the presents on December sixth, and uh, Christmas Day is actually more of a religious holiday. Okay. Uh, so they were hadn't had Saint Nicholas Day for five years because when the Germans took over, they uh, eliminated everything, including the language. Uh, the street names were changed. People's names were changed to German names. Uh, they, any of the local traditions were verboten. They, um, they considered, uh, Luxembourg, Germany. There wasn't much happiness or hope. No, there wasn't. It, it was it, a lot of the, the young men were, were conscripted. Uh, some of them went off to hide in the Ardennes. There were mostly the elderly men, if any men, and, um, the, uh, Women and children were all that were left in the town, and it was occupied uh, for for five brutal years. Well, and uh, Don, my understanding is is that our generals did not think that there would be much uh, as far as battles. 
during this. It was a very hard and cold winter. And uh, so we, we kind of had our defenses down a bit. I think there were the, the there was the group at Bestone, and I think the others were at St. Vith. And uh, Hitler was actually building, I think it was 200,000 well, men that the came Bastogne, in. Well, the Bastogne event was the result of the bulge itself occurring. They That was a, one of the strongholds, uh, one of the places that the Americans tried to defend after the bulge took place. But, but leading up to the bulge, uh, during the uh, late November, early December, uh, the American troops had v- advanced quite quickly to the border of Germany. They thought the Germans were defeated. They were spread thinly out along this this border, and everybody thought that, you know, they might be home for Christmas. And uh, there were actually locals who were coming across and saying, hey, you know, uh, there's stuff going on over here as far as the tanks and and men starting to to build up on the border. And uh, the Americans, for some reason, I guess this all happens a lot, that they didn't didn't take them seriously. So the the my dad was at the time he was in a town called Wiltz, which is kind of north central Luxembourg. And uh, there was really nothing much going on. It was an R and R kind of a setup, and and everybody was waiting for supplies to catch up. They had advanced so fast that they were they didn't have a lot of winter clothing yet, and and they were just kind of hanging out. Mm-hmm. And um, and it was during this lull that my dad's uh, roommate and friend Harry Stutz, a little short guy, a little short Jewish guy, was talking to some of the locals, and uh, one of the gentlemen had his granddaughter with him, and they were very happy the Americans had liberated them, but they were very sad because there was nothing for them to have a party with. And so Harry thought it would be a good idea to have a little party, plus boost the morale of the of the uh, soldiers Give as the well. soldiers something to do as well. Yeah, yeah. They were homesick. So mm-hmm. they got a little party together. Uh, after getting permission, it went right up the line to uh, General Coda, and uh, he thought it'd be good PR to do something like that. So my dad was uh, a cryptographer, and he would—he uh, was in a message unit. And this is where Harry was too. This was a small group of men, relatively. And uh, he thought that eh, this might be a good idea. Let's let's have this party. And my dad says, "Well, what can I do to help you?" He says, and he looks at my dad's height compares to compared to his. And knew that my dad would fit into the local priest's garments. <laughs> and he Harry says, well, had done his research. Huh? He says, Why don't you be St. Nick? And my dad says, I don't know. I don't know what to do. He says, just help me out. So my dad relented and got all dressed up as St. Nick. And they went to a couple schools. He sat in the back of a Jeep and had two angels, one on either side. And they'd go to a couple locations, which ended up in the, the courtyard of the castle. And had a little party for the kids, and the kids came out and did skits, and and uh, and they they just hung around and handed out bags of donuts that the cooks had cooked, and uh, some of the candy rations the soldiers had contributed, and everybody got a little bag of stuff, and uh, and it was a wonderful, albeit cold and mm-hmm. windy so, day. So, and did he have a beard or how? He uh, yeah, he was the, the nuns had put together an outfit for him. They got a mitered hat, which was too small for him. So he he had pretty wicked headache, 
uh, from wearing that thing. And he also had a beard made out of shredded rope, which was very uncomfortable. That's got to itch. Yeah. And he had a makeshift staff or a repaired kind of a staff. And uh, they, he just, in fact, he mentioned to his friend Harry that, hey, you know, this this hat's giving me a terrible headache. He says, well, take it off. He says, I can't do that. I'm St. Nicholas. Yeah. yeah. So he was getting into in costume. Yeah. So they did this. Um, and then went back to work, and everybody went back to their lives. And then 10 days later, the bulge hit. Some of the kids were killed in the retaking of the town. And um, that had to be really tough for him. Well, it, you know. And we're they, talking with Don Brookins. He's talking about his father, Richard Brookins, who was the American St. Nick in a little village in Luxembourg, Veltz or Wiltz, uh, Luxembourg. And this was uh, December 6th. In December 5th, actually, 1944. December 5th, 1944. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then my dad, of course, one of his duties was to show movies around the area to the soldiers. He would get films in. He had a couple of projectors, and he drove to different towns. And the town just north of there, Clairvaux, was where he was when the bulge broke through. But after this happened, this party happened, and the, the soldiers went on with the war, uh, they went home and went on with their lives, and nobody really thought much of it after that. However, the townspeople never forgot it. And to this day, in fact, a couple of weeks ago, they just had the, another celebration. They duplicate this celebration. They've got the Jeep. They've got the, the <laughs> angels who earned the position. It's a big deal. And, uh, and in 1977, my dad uh, was located by them. He, they didn't know if he was still alive and they located him in 77 and uh, having survived uh, the war, they had him come back and he's been back five times over the years to, to play the part. He didn't know he was going to be a rock star. He is a rock star. (laughs) And he, uh, he, he had a quote one time that he said, the the guy down the street doesn't know who I am, but I'm a big deal over there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, so we're going to go to break here in just a moment, Don, but I'd like to hear about how the, the town found him. You know, so every year they have this celebration, and at some point in time, and we've seen that, Molly, a lot, where um, vets, and it happened a lot in the 70s, they started to go back. I mean, like you say, these guys came back and they just live, live their lives. Because when did you find out that he was the American St. Nick? Well, I remember very vaguely as a, as a young boy, seeing the newspaper picture that was taken and and uh, sent around the country and as a matter of fact the local newspaper had that picture in there I, and i i didn't remember too much about it but but i didn't really remember enough so that when i did find out what it was all about it was it's all pretty new to me in 77 i had just moved here from western new york state which is where my dad lives Okay, well, this is the AmeriChicks, Molly and Kim. It's Christmas time, and we have a very special show today. We have Don Brookins in studio with us. His father, Corporal Richard Brookins, was the American St. Nick in Viltz, Luxembourg, on December 5th, 1944. So uh, we'll go to break. We'll be back in just a moment for the rest of the story. Hey, welcome back. 
to the Ameritix World War II project. It's Christmas time, and we have a very special World War II story for you. You know, during the, during the war, things were pretty, pretty tough in Luxembourg. After the Nazis had had left, they had been there for five years. By the time they left, the people pretty much had nothing left. So even though they were alive, it was mostly women and children. The men had been sent to uh, either join the German army or they had gone to concentration camps. Um, so really, the only men there would have been the elderly men. And it was and it was Christmas time. It was, it was December 5th. It was the day before St. Uh, Nicholas Day. And the American soldiers were, were in, staying in town just for a little bit of R&R. It had been a, a crazy war. And the um, 112th Regiment, which is part of the 28th Infantry Division, was there. And, uh, and they put together something pretty special for the kids for a Christmas party. And we are talking to, right now, the son of the American Saint Nick. Don Brookins is in studio with us. His father is Corporal Richard Brookins. He played the American Saint Nick. And every every year since 1944, they have been reenacting the American Saint Nick in Luxembourg. They have never forgotten. So before we went to break, Don, we were talking about the fact that it was in 1977 that your father was contacted. They found your dad and said, we want you to come back and visit. Tell us, how did they find your dad after 30 years? Well, in the days before the Internet, uh, they they had to write letters, and they wrote letters, and they tried to figure out how to find out about him. Um, they had a little museum was set up in the castle for for this thing. and uh, Well, that was part of the their, their museum, but the Battle of the Bulge Museum. Uh, they, I get, I think that from what I remember, there was a, a, a fire in the records department right. in Kansas yeah. city or St. Louis or yeah, yeah, they, back there. And yeah. so there was a real, it was real difficult for mm-hmm. them. But in 77, there was a, a fellow who my dad didn't know, but was in the same outfit, uh, came back to where he had been captured during the bulge. Uh, his, his wife had passed and his kids had grown up and like a lot of guys they mm-hmm. went back and and uh to to where they they served so he went back and went to the spot uh where he was captured to try to figure out after all those years what he could have done differently and he realized that he was satisfied with the fact that he couldn't have done anything any differently went back into the town of wilts went to hotel and the lady at the hotel from what i understand too was the same lady behind the desk when he was there during the war Oh my gosh! And she said, "Are you are you uh, are you a soldier? Were you here?" And he said, "Yeah." We said, "Well, there's some people that want to talk to you. Is that uh-huh. okay?" Uh-oh. And he said, "Let me find." They convinced him to go to the museum the next morning, and then he said, F- "Try to f- find this man, and um, maybe uh, I guess I don't know how. I can't remember exactly how he called. He called somebody in Rochester, where my dad's from. My, this fellow was from Pittsburgh." And he called someone and, and, and at the phone company, and my, I think it was, and my dad worked at the phone company, and I guess they were had, having no trouble finding him. Uh, at that point, it was like real, real fast. So they called. My mom answered the phone. My dad was at work, and they said, did your husband play St. Nick uh, in, in Wilts? And she said, yeah. He said, well, there's some people that are going to want to know this. So that was the <laughs> beginning of, of everything. So if you... Maybe get more details if you'd want to talk to the 
to the real to American. The real American saying that because I'm a really you know a bad, a bad substitute compared. To <laughs> well, him. I, yeah, I, I'm. And he's only ninety five years old. Is he ninety five? So, yeah, so, so he's uh, he's he's still pretty young. So he uh, he might. Might be a little well. I think we'll tr- hey Woody, would you would you go ahead and get the American Saint Nick on the line? That would be a great thing. And if you so. just tuned in, this is the Americhicks, Molly and Kim, and it's World War II Day, and we are about to get on the phone for you, the American Saint Nick. He served during the Second World War in the European theater. He was in the 112th Regiment, part of the 28th Infantry Division. And they happened to just be taking a little relaxing time off in the beautiful town of Viltz in Luxembourg. And uh, and this was just before St. Nicholas Day. They decided they would have a little party for the community, a little, little happiness, a little cheer. And there's been a lot of, a lot of downtime. And so they brought a lot of cheer, and now they are still celebrating and reenacting his time there today, more than 70 years later. Right, right. And we have Don Brookins in studio, and Don is uh, Richard's son. But we actually have Richard Brookins on the line. Uh, Richard, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing wonderful, thank you. Well, great. Now, we are the Americhicks, Molly and Kim, and your son Don is in studio with us, and we're uh, kind of set this whole thing up about uh, the American St. Nick. Uh, so our listeners understand the story. Uh, we uh, do understand that it was a little uncomfortable, that the hat was a little tight and the beard was a little itchy that day. It very much was. And uh, I overcame that very well because the kids were so excited and the guys that were helping out with this thing, we thought it was a wonderful idea. So those were uh, Interruptions didn't bother us at all. I got over that. But it was a little cramped, but it was a good, good day. And I want to appreciate you people for making an issue of it today and asking my son to fill you in a little bit. And he's doing a pretty good job. He is doing a pretty good job. So now one quick question, Richard. You don't have the radio on uh, behind you, do you? I just want to make sure we have a, a good connection there. So oh, I'm. I'm on a telephone right now. Okay, okay, that sounds good. So let's uh, let's have you tell the story about Harry uh, talking you into being the American Saint Nick. Well, Harry was a good friend of mine. He was a he was about five years older than I. Well, more advanced in knowledge and so forth, and he was very much a student of the war. And he just felt awful bad that the kids had uh, been under the pressure of the Germans for four and a half years and from what he learned from this man that he met in the street that they were so happy to be liberated and have the freedom back that they had nothing for the children for St. Nicholas Day. So he did on that and he came back with that information and there were two or three others of us who, who boarded with him and we thought it would be a good idea to have Christmas party for the kids. So it started from that point. And we were a little fearful because we had no presents for the children. But we decided that we'd ask our buddies to chip in their candy and gum and whatever they might have from home and see if we couldn't make a pretty a party for the kids. And Harry set the work to do that. So in a relatively short time, he had volunteers. Then he needed uh, someone to be representative of St. Nick, who I had never heard of in my life. <laughs> And asked me to take on that role, and uh, it's the best thing I ever did. And I feel real good that the American kids had a chance to to help uh, the foreign children have a good day at uh, 
all of these years, 73 years, they're still doing the same thing relative to the American St. Nick. And they appoint a man from their town to be the American St. Nick, which is considered to be an honor. And the little girls who are his special attendants are selected for their scholastic ability and appointed as St. Nick's uh, servers. And they learn their skits and so forth. We just have a great time. And I've been doing this so long. i got to do it till I get it right. But uh, <laughs> I'm a little bit along in tooth right now at 95 years old, so I don't get to go anymore. But I'm very much in tune with it. And they just had another successful uh, execution of their party just uh, last Sunday, at de- December 3rd. It's always... The Sunday before St. Nicholas Day. <laughs> well, and we're looking forward to a major event on the 75th anniversary, which will be in the year uh, 15, 2015. If I'm still here, I'm going to be tuned in anyway. But thank you so much. For Nin- 19. It. It'll be in 2019. 2019. Yeah. Corporal Richard Perkins, do you mind explain to us how did it feel when you went back in 1977 on the 30th anniversary? Uh, what was it like walking back in there after all those years and putting well, on that costume you, again? They would be able to imagine it was an outstanding event. And uh, I could not believe it was happening. The town looked exactly as it was when I was last there, although it had been damaged after during the Battle of the Balls, but all the people that were there at that time that I had met, I remembered. Uh, it was an, it was just outstanding and un, unexplainable. I just could not believe that this was happening again and that they were so committed to this event as being symbolic of their of, of their uh, gratitude to, to America and to their soldiers that they've never forgotten. I remember the nun told me uh, at one point that uh, they would never forget, and neither will the children, and they haven't yet. So it's an extraordinary event, and I don't even know that I can put it in the proper phrasing. Okay. Well, so, uh, Richard Brookins, you're you're planning this event, and there's obviously, I don't know if St. Nick comes in a sleigh or how he arrives. So how did you come into town um, to see the children? I don't know what. I came in... uh, Dressed as St. Nick in a Jeep, uh, 1944 Army Jeep. In 1977, when I was asked to come back for the first time, I was on a, they call it a toboggan, which is really a float. Well, just before that, I've been, at, I've been at other conveyances uh, down through the years, automobiles, uh, other paraphernalia. <laughs> Dad, but how how did you how did you actually? I'm not really sure what's happening. How how did you actually end up coming into town that day? That's kind of what we'd like to know. Oh, the day that I uh, which day that I came in seventy seven. Yeah, in seventy seven. How did you arrive? Well, that friend of mine uh, turned out to be a friend of mine, Frank McClellan, who was an MP and was in Wilkes, was uh, became a good friend of a young man in. Luxembourg, and uh, over many visits and so forth, the friend asked him if he could help him find this man that he had a picture of from 1944. 
he had made many plans, and he had something special planned. He wanted to talk with me. So Frank, finally, after coming up with all kinds of reasons why this might be a problem, came back home, got a hold of a man at the Pittsburgh Telephone Company, who I happen to know, and they, at that time, had the telephone directories from different major cities. So he went and found one from Rochester, New York, and there I was, listed uh, my original address and a telephone number. So this young man uh, wrote me a letter. He was uh, made he was 17 at the time we were there in 1944, but he had made up his mind no one would ever forget what happened there under the Germans and under the Americans. So he described this great event he was putting on to celebrate the the rebuilding of their town after 30 years. And that would I come back to be St. Nicholas. So with about three seconds worth of wondering if I come back or not, I decided to come back. Ah, that's great. This is uh, the AmeriChicks. It's Christmas time. And we are talking with Don Brickens, who is the son of Richard Brickens, who is also on the line. And Richard was uh, the American St. Nick in Viltz, Luxembourg, on St. Nicholas Day in 1944. Richard, can you stay with us through the break? We'd like to ask you some additional questions. It would be my pleasure. Thank you. Welcome to the AmeriChicks World War II Project with Molly Vogt and Kim Munson. We are excited today. You know, it's Christmas time, and we are on the phone with the American Saint Nick. Corporal Richard Brookins is 95 years young today, and he was the American Saint Nick in Luxembourg during the Second World War, just a couple of weeks before the Battle of the Bulge. His, his 112th Regiment was part of the 28th Infantry Division, and they were taking a little downtime. They were getting some rest going. Obviously, war is hell, and, and, and people were tired and hungry and freezing cold. And uh, in the little town they were in, they thought, you know, let's have a little party. Let's bring some cheer. And so Richard Brookins agreed to dress up as St. Nick and played the part. And still today now, you know, more than seven decades later, they still replay his part. They still replay and they play an American St. Nick rather than just St. Nick and reenact this great day. So Corporal Richard Brookins, I wanted to ask you a question about uh, the time when you were sitting down. I, I read an article that said you, the kids were coming up and sitting on your knee, of course, to tell St. Nick what they wanted for Christmas. And um, it looks like they were doing this in German. Were you able to understand what they were saying? And did you, how did you uh, communicate back with the kids? Well, that's interesting. Uh, back in 44, there, were, there was no exchange of uh, common language. Uh, they, they knew no English for any great degree of uh, conversation, nor did we know anything about their language, which is a derivative German. So just from, I guess, uh, contact with each other, smiles, pats on the head. I was told the kids, pat the kids on the head, chuck them under the chin, and, and smile at them. And through all of that, we managed to communicate what the whole effort was. And one thing I wanted to mention, if you don't mind me jumping in here, but please yeah, do. I got to tell you, on my first return in 77, I came back in a helicopter. <laughs> I was going to tell you about that, and I let it slip my mind. But I was brought back by an Army helicopter as opposed to just a battlefield chief from the first one in 1944. 
And the other item I'd like to mention is in 1994, my wife and I brought our whole family with us for one of the events, and our kids have never forgotten that, even though they've grown and have their own children now. Wow. Thank you for... Thank you for letting me correct all that. Oh, oh yes, of course. Thank you. Well, I can't even imagine how cool it would be to see you coming down in a helicopter, the American St. Nick, and landing in, you know, in the middle of all of these people and, and handing out gifts. That must have been so amazing. Were, how many people would you say there were that first year, and, and what kind of uh, things did they say to you? Well, the very first year, it was uh, everything was all kind of a blur, really, and uh, not as significant as it has been over the years. So the intensity of uh, description is, is, is relieved by the fact I don't know what was going on <laughs> kind of <laughs> attitude. But there were a lot of young children and no men. All the men have been taken away to servitude in Germany or had run away, hiding out from the Germans and so forth. It was all sisters, aunts, moms, and probably... If I had to guess, I'd say 125 people. I don't know how close I'd be, but it would be pretty close to that. It enjoyed this this program and has sustained itself over 73 years. Yeah. And, Richard, as you've been back several times and replayed the American St. Nick, have you had the opportunity to speak to any people who were there that original day in December 1944? Maybe they were little kids, and, and you know, and they remembered you. Have you talked to them? Well, those little kids have grown into grandmothers and grandfathers, and, yes, I do see those people, and they have never forgotten what happened that day. They can repeat word for word what they recall about it, even though they now are elderly people themselves. And not quite up to my age bracket, but they're gaining on me every day. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Richard, what was it like? I'm I'm thinking I'm a mom, and to to know that your children hadn't really had the hope of candy or you know the the celebration no hope for that because of the four and a half five years of occupation by the nazis and i i've got to think first of all tell us the children just what was your reaction what did you see in their eyes and then also it had to warm your heart to look at the the moms out there and the grandmothers and the aunts um because you know, people want to give something good to their children, and it had been a while. So could you address those two things? Well, for the children, I think, as looking back on it, it was a great deal of wonderment and amazement of what was taking place there. Here, just a matter of a day or two before, all the Germans had run away, and they had been under the, uh, the, the, the boots of those people, and here comes a bunch of Americans, and they're smiling, and they like kids, and it's obvious because they're giving them things and so forth. As far as the parents were concerned, they they just could not believe that people from all the way from the United States of America, which was way out there someplace, took time out to come over and to find them once again with their freedom and their liberty. Once they had lost it, they thought they would never get it back. And all that rolled in together over a number of years seems to me to be an indication of what can happen when people care enough to do a little bit something extra for others. 
You know, we've heard stories, uh, Richard, Molly and I, I, sh- I think she mentioned we w- went back to Normandy in 2016 with a team that took four D-Day vets. And that is something, and I think one of the reasons that your generation is called the greatest generation is kind of the sacrifice, duty, courage, character. Um, you know, there was a lot of that going around with you guys uh, over there in, uh, in World War II. Well, I agree with you. I think that um, under the cover of everything else, uh, it was all of those elements that melded itself together because of the kind of people that we were brought up to be, I guess, by our mothers and fathers, and which we should still be trying to do. And the times I've been back over there, every time I go, it gets even better, and they just can't believe that I've reached this age and I still want to come. So... <laughs> It's the footsteps have been made, and, uh, and and they have never forgotten, and they never will. This is just something that's happened, and it's a glorious thing, and that's what they want to maintain. Now, Richard, stay on the line here. I want to ask Don, your son, who is in studio with us, when you got to go back to Viltz, when the family all went back, what what went through your mind? Well, that's an interesting question because it's a blur to me, too, because... Uh, at the time, uh, and what I, year was that? That was seventy-seven. Okay, when I went back to, for that. Oh, so this was the helicopter. This one. was the helicopter. Okay, one. and I at the time worked for a local TV station here, uh, and I had found myself a job and arrived in May of seventy-seven. I had not accrued enough vacation time to ask for any time off at that point, but when I heard about this thing, I went into my my superior and I informed him I was leaving. I didn't ask if I could go. And he said, oh, well, okay, take a camera, shoot some stories. So I, t- I took the camera, film. It was, you know, you've heard of film, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's that, got the holes Molly, on the side. Molly wasn't I'm, born yet, but yeah, I know camera. what it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of little pictures. Anyway, uh, I took a camera and and did a a three part series when I got back here, even though it did, had nothing to do with Denver particularly. But uh, I remember when I did get back. If I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I remember getting back, sitting on Christmas Eve alone in the TV station, editing film all night long. Uh, but you know, it was interesting how it. If you're not standing back and observing it normally and you're looking through an eyepiece of a camera, you miss a lot, too. Yeah, yeah we know. So I, my family for years would mention all these people by name, and I wouldn't know who they were. And I thought, what's the matter with me? But I came to find out I didn't have time to right. hang out and, and remember everybody by sight. But I was too busy working. But still, it was it was quite a... Quite but you were way. able to capture that, so so there's something really important about that as well. Absolutely. And uh, so did the TV station then run this on yeah, Christmas? Yeah, they ran a three-parter during Christmas time, and uh, when I went and tried to catch up from jet lag, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was it was a really nice, nicely done piece. We had a we had a good piece on the air. Okay, well, this is the Americhicks. Like, oh, go ahead. I'd just like to put it in that. Uh, that one of the greatest satisfactions my wife and I had is that our children and some of our grandchildren at the time had a chance to see 
their grandfather was doing. So they turn a real benefit. <laughs> that is totally awesome. This is the Emeritus Molly and Kim. And um, Corporal Richard Brookins, if you don't mind staying through the break, when we come back, I'd like to ask you some questions about the war because this was a very special time that you that you had. But I think about 10 weeks later, the Battle of the Bulge started. And so I wanted to ask you, 10 days later, the Battle of the Bulge started. So I want to ask you some questions about that. So stick with us. We'll be right back. It's the Americhicks World War II show. Hey, welcome back to the Americhicks World War II project. I'm Molly Vogt. And I'm Kim Munson. And we are excited. It's Christmas time. We are sharing a very special story with you today about the American St. Nick. And I want to point you to a website. World War II Foundation has a documentary. WorldWar2Foundation.org. That's WorldWar2Foundation.org. Uh, just Google it. But uh, they've got this documentary, and you can actually see the American St. Nick. You can see when this happened in December 1944. It's the actual documentary. It's the actual filmage because at the time when they did this, there were, happened to be two combat cameramen walking down the street when the Jeep goes by, and they caught it all on film. It's amazing so the timing. Go to www.foundation.org, and you can see that. Now, before we get back to the story, since we're talking about doing some on your computer. I want to make sure your computer's working. And if you ever have a problem with it, go to EvanYourITGuy.com. Evan, your IT guy is a sponsor of the Americhicks, and they're a network of IT professionals. They provide on-demand help with your computer needs 24-7, no matter you know what time of day, if it's a weekend, what have you. Give them a call. They can log into your computer remotely and fix it for you. You can watch them while they're doing it. And uh, when you call them the first time, tell them the Americhicks sent you, and it's free. EvanYourITGuy.com. Love those guys. So um, real quick, let's get back to it. So Corporal Richard Brookins, you were the American St. Nick in Second World War in 1944. And this was a very special time in the middle of war that, that you gave the kids your, your rations, you melted candy bars, you gave them hot chocolate, you put together, you, know, you had little gifts for them, you cooked donuts for them. It was a, a very special time that gave them hope when there hadn't been a lot of it because the Nazis had been occupying their their community there in Luxembourg for four to five years. Mm-hmm. But, but after that, Richard, uh, about 10 days later, the Battle of the Bulge started. Do you mind telling us about your regiment and, and what you were doing when the Battle of the Bulge broke out and, and tell us a little bit about, about your time there? Well, first of all, the... I was not with a regiment. That would be an infantry regiment made up of the 28th Division, but I was a part of the division headquarters as a special troops for the signal company, along with medics and uh, logistics people and so forth. Okay. And my job was more specifically involved with uh, encoding and decoding messages and so forth, as well as being a a projectionist for training films and Hollywood films when I could get them. Uh, we found ourselves after this affair back to our usual job, getting ready to get back into the battle, unaware of all of the accumulation of troops, even though we should have known about it, and history has been written about it and continues to be written about it. And without being uh, truly clued in to what was significantly in, in front of us, we were suddenly attacked 10 days later after this great little time with the kids. We had a number of my people and my company 
which was a signal company, captured and sent away to prisoner war camp. There was two of them killed, and we, the rest of us, managed to get out of town and and uh, spread ourselves around Belgium and so forth until all the stragglers could be gathered together once again as a fighting force and utilize the troops that were being rerouted and sent up to the area that we were in. That stone became the fingerprints for the whole darn thing because there were seven major roads that the Germans had to use and we denied them the use of any of them and it stopped their whole program well before it got started. But believe it or not, there were some 83,000 Americans killed, captured, wounded, missing in action, and over 130 Germans over that six-week battle that upset and stopped the whole war for a while. Richard Brickens, um, I mean, it's it's astonishing. When you say the word 83,000, just one of those was somebody's son, brother, husband, father. Um, I mean, war is, is really, really tough. And, and my understanding is even uh, during the attack that some of the children that you had uh, celebrated with 10 days earlier were killed by the Germans as they were coming into the village. That had to be really tough. Well, uh, we weren't aware of all those numbers so well after the war when everybody began to add up and everything. But we knew we had lost favorite people of our own and new people had been brought in. We knew that they were sending troops from America. This was really a startling event that could have turned things around. The objective was to split our forces between the American and the British forces and sue for peace. And there was no such thing as uh, uncompromising, uncompromising peace. Our content was supposed to be unconditional, so we fought on. Uh, that reminds me, uh, you know, there's this famous quote by, is it, uh, well, uh, McAuliffe, uh, when uh, they were surrounded at Bastogne and the Germans asked for the surrender. Uh, do you remember that story? Was that one that was told out there much? Oh, yeah. That, that, that was reported in the Stars and Stripes, which was the Army newspaper, as uh, nuts from General McAuliffe, and much made of it. I think uh, if I had a judgment on it myself, it was probably overstated in a sense to give courage and hope to everybody that uh, we weren't given in for anything. I don't, I met a man one time who was in one of the units under McCoff. He said, he didn't say nuts. He didn't want to tell me what he did say. But <laughs> We've heard I that. Wasn't there, so <laughs> I wasn't there, so I don't know. But I, it was, it was a, a battle cry and it always has been. And it's, indicative of exactly the way we felt. We weren't giving up for anything. Wow. Were you involved in other battles after uh, Battle of the Bulge? Well, there was a couple of battles, one in Colmar, France, which is on the border of Germany and France, a very devastating battle. Uh, Over the Rhine, we encountered uh, resistance and then ended up uh, coming back over the Rhine and and ending our so-called battle career at uh, Kaiserslautern, Germany, at, in May. Uh, the major battles had already been fought. The big thing was to corral the Germans into their own country and have them lay their arms down and, and completely surrender. And, of course, under the threat from the Russians and the, the strength of the, the Allies on this side, uh, 
it didn't take too long to wipe it out. It, uh, in May, April and May was the termination of, the, of all of us, all of those kind of things. Well, Corporate uh, Richard Brookins, today, when you see the American flag, what goes through your mind? <laughs> I can't even begin to express the love I have for this country, the hope I have for the people, the disturbing things that are happening that disturb me a great deal, but I know that we're going to end up standing up and proud of ourselves in the long run as soon as we get a handle on how we correct this stuff. This country is, having seen others and the things they have lived through over the centuries as well as currently, there's no place like this place of freedom. And we've got to protect it. We've got to continue observing it. We've got to continue asking for responsibility of those who we've placed in charge because it's our country, of the people, by the people, and for the people. And that's me. That's what I am. Wow. Well said. Well said. (laughs) We agree. And and Corporal Brookins, you know, when we were in Normandy, we had the opportunity to go to some schools and to meet some kids. And and we had D-Day vets with us there. And the kids got to ask them questions. And and they had American flags hanging. And they had pictures of Thomas Jefferson. And and they, they knew so much about America and American history and about the the great the, the Second World War and it seemed like because they had that knowledge they respected America and they respected our flag and we feel like is if we can continue to get as many of these World War II stories from from your mouths then and share these with future generations then perhaps people in America will start to understand what that flag stands for as well so Thank you for sharing your story. And I wanted to see if you would just tell us, we only have a couple minutes left, but talk a little bit about receiving the military medal in 2016 from Luxembourg. That was a complete surprise. And I'm sorry to take so much time away from my son, Don. He was doing such a good job. Oh, sorry. I was getting a nap. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, that was really a surprise and totally unexpected. And I think the biggest thing about it, as I understand it, There are only four other or five other recipients of that medal from this little country, and they are people like Franklin Roosevelt, uh, Churchill, uh, Charles de Gaulle, uh, Bernard Montgomery, and did I say Eisenhower? You did not, and that is the one, yes. And me. Oh, my (laughs) gosh, that is awesome. It's It's the highest military honor in Luxembourg, the military medal. Richard Brookins. Well, I, think I'm, I think I'm throwing in as a as an example or something of not of don't get mixed up with something you don't know anything about. Oh <laughs> my gosh! Well, it goes to show that when people tell the truth about Americans' great sacrifice to liberate people to, for, to fight for freedom uh, for people guys, they don't know, guys are, they remember. All those guys are gone, and I remember them, and I I speak of this wherever I can in their honor and. Uh, and tell that story because they all put it together. All I was was a was the uh, centerpiece, I guess you might say. But I've been fortunate enough to last this long. So thank you so much for taking the time to ask all of these questions, and thank you for being so kind to my son. Well, Richard Brookins, thank you so much. Merry Christmas to the American Saint Nick. It's been an honor having you with us. Merry Christmas, and Don Brookins. Thank- 
Thank, Thank you. you very much. This story is so awesome. There's the documentary. There's the book. Um, just this has really been powerful uh, today. Well, I'm I'm glad you had a, a very good time with this. This is uh, it's quite a story. Uh, I tell you what, if you ever want to take a vacation uh, in the winter to Europe, um, you, if you want to go to that festival, you'll you'll see something. Pretty oh, I'd amazing. love to do that. Yeah. I would love to put that's, that on my list of things to a, do. It's quite a sight. It's quite a sight to see, and and, and those kids will never forget and each generation is taught this that's the they important thing is transmitting this from generation to generation yeah, they do they do uh, make sure that everybody knows this story so and and you should see the bags they give out now there's not there's not a couple of donuts in there <laughs> and uh, some candy bars they, they've they're really packed and they're oh, but they're still bags that's nice well we're going to end the show with this quote from tom brokaw he says and this is about the american saint nick he says one more memorable and inspiring story from the greatest generation Soldiers who put down their weapons and brought Christmas to a beleaguered town and its kids. It will touch your heart and make you proud. The American St. Nick. Check out The American St. Nick. The book was written by Peter Lyon. And you can watch the video of Corporal Richard Brookins at www2foundation.com. And also check out americansaintnick.com as well. Uh, I think it's www2foundation.org. Forgive me. Check it out. You can watch the video of the great The American St. Nick. Join us next time for the World War II Project and your hosts, the Americhicks, Molly Vogt and Kim Munson. Until then, keep saluting the greatest generation.